Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Podcast, presented by Canon Press. Welcome to the podcast. This is episode 274. 274. I'm, I'm Douglas Wilson. Thank you for joining us. So today I want to do a little bit, a little bit of censorship review because I think it is important for us to not forget a few things. We've just came, we've just come through a very crazy two or three years. A very crazy two or three years. And during these years, one of the things that made them crazy were the mandates, uh, the things that could get you canceled or fired or censored or shut down or fined. You know, there, there were all kinds, of, uh, all kinds of dirty deeds that were happening over the course of these last few years. And all of it had to do with the pandemic. You, it's just now coming out that it's now acceptable for everybody to say that the pandemic was caused by a lab leak in Wuhan, China, okay, it's now acceptable to say in public that this the source of all this was a lab leak, and not, you know, not somebody eating a bat or some lab leak. Okay, now the issue is not who who was right or wrong. I mean, when you've got a people getting sick all over the world, and you've got to hunt down where it started, I think that that has to be has to be. A challenging process, and you you can't just wing it. You can't just say, "Oh, I think this," and have your opinion stand. The thing that the thing that should concern all of us profoundly, deeply, is the fact that when the controversy first arose, an orthodoxy arose almost immediately, and that orthodoxy was enforced with a club. And this is why I want to do a censorship review. We are now allowed to say that the coronavirus was the result of a lab leak in China. Now, are we going to go back over the last three years and restore the jobs and the reputations and the lost time of all the people who were shut down, censored, shouted down, dismissed because they thought that that's what it was? Uh, same, th- same thing on masks, same thing on lockdowns. Same thing on transmission of the virus uh, when you're outdoors. All of these things. It's astonishing how the controversy arose. The question was put before the House, and before you could say Jack Robinson, the state was enforcing one view against another. Why? This seems to me to be a, a, a very important question. Shouldn't we find out first? Shouldn't we debate it first? Shouldn't we have it out? Shouldn't we hear from all sides? Well, the answer of the answer given to this uh, and many related questions by our elites was no. We don't want to hear all sides. We want an acceptable narrative and we want everyone to conform to that narrative. But conforming to the narrative is not what free speech is all about. Free speech is a biblical idea. Proverbs 18:17. One person's case seems really compelling until you hear the other side. When you want to find out, you when you want to find out what the truth is, 
you want to go to a debate where the debaters actually interact with each other and where there's a time of cross-examination where one person can ask the other person questions if that other person is being evasive. And it's a level playing field. Both sides can do the same thing. Both sides can cross-examine the other. Where, on, where did this uh, skittishness about hearing from everybody come from? This is, it's just amazing. Now, I, I want to walk through it because when it comes to the lockdowns, when it comes to the masks, when it comes to natural immunity, when it comes to the vaccines, when it comes to the death rate from the vaccines, when it comes to all of these issues, the critics were right. The people who were censored were right. The people who had an insight into what could be done that would help the situation were forcibly shut up. And that is a tragedy. That is simply awful. Always will be God. So as we continue with the podcast, podcast 274, we continue our study of hamartiology, our heads suitably bloody but unbowed. This is part three of our treatment of epithumia, meaning lust, concupiscence, desire, or lust after. We've done, this is part three. We've done parts one, part two, and prior to that, we did the verb for lust. And remember, it can just mean strong desire. And I've quoted this before, and he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Luke twenty-two fifteen. Now here in part three, I'm looking at those passages where the KJV translators decided to use the word concupiscence instead of lust. Concupiscence. Isn't that a great word? That's a great word. Let's bring back concupiscence. We don't want to bring back the thing, concupiscence. We don't need to bring it back. It's all around us. Uh, But let's bring back the, the word. The law of God, which is holy, righteous, and good, is a stick that whacks the hornet's nest of concupiscence. And you know what happens after that. So I wouldn't have known what sin was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So Romans 3.20 and Romans 5.20, and then again in Romans 7, uh, the law of God is holy, righteous, and good. But it's the thing that stirs concupiscence up. In Romans 7.8, it says, But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. So you might think of concupiscence as sin activated, as sin whacked with the stick, or take the stick and stick it into the hornet's nest and wiggle it around some. This is not something that leaves believers untouched, right? Notice what Paul tells the Colossian Christians to do. He's speaking to the saints at Colossae. He's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to brothers in Christ. And what does he tell them to do? He says in Colossians 3.5, Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. And then he gives a list of these members. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, all of those things are probably sexual in nature. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness. All probably sexual. And he's, he's telling Christians to mortify the, these, your members which are on the earth. So he's saying to saints that you have members down here, which are these, fornication, etc. And, and evil concupiscence is one of them. You don't have to go anywhere to fill out a form to sign up to have lustful thoughts or to have 
concupiscence arise in your heart. No, that's going to happen. And Paul's instruction here is very plain, mortify, kill. Uh, So when, when you see these things arise, you want to make sure you kill them dead. There are three, uh, I'll just touch on this briefly, there are three levels of mortification in Scripture. There's the mortification that happens wrought by God when someone is converted. God uh, transforms your weed patch into a garden patch. He rototills the whole thing under, he plows the whole thing under. There's a brown rectangle on the grass that used to be full of weeds. Now it's a garden patch with um, flowers or, or vegetables planted there. It's now a garden. So that's one kind of mortification, and it's, one, it's something that God does. Then there's a second level of mortification, which is what Colossians 3 here is referring to. And these are gnarly weeds. These are Canadian thistles that are chest high. You, you left your garden, went away for a few weeks in August, and you came back, and you've got these thistles that are up to your chin. What do you do? Well, mortify. And the word mortify there is an aorist imperative, which means that it's over and done. You you kill it, and it's a completed action. So you pull these weeds, and you take them over to the burn pile. You kill them, and you kill them dead. And then there's a third level of mortification, which you can find in Romans 8, where in an ongoing daily way, uh, you mortify this, the sins of the flesh. And this is, this is the kind of mortification that someone does when they go out, a good gardener who goes out to the garden every day at 5 a.m. to pull weeds. There's never been a, a gardener in the history of the world who went out at 5 a.m. to pull weeds in his garden who came back in because he couldn't find one. There is always something there. And the weeds that you pull are, you know, the same kind of weed as the chin high one, but they're just the size of your thumbnail because you're doing it every day. But it's still mortification. You're still pulling weeds. So there's the mortification of changing you from a weed patch to a garden. There's the mortification of pulling weeds that have gotten out of hand, which is here in Colossians 3. And then there's the mortification, the daily mortification of pulling weeds when they're teeny. Uh, John Owen said uh, he should not think he makes any progress in godliness who walks not daily over the bellies of his own lusts. And then, when it comes to marriage, which is in Scripture a lawful sexual relation, Paul tells the Thessalonians not to approach it in a particular way. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 5, he says, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. There's a certain kind of wanting that is prohibited to Christians, even if you're married, right? Even if you're married. So, each person should learn how to possess his own vessel, not the way the Gentiles do, not in the lust of concupiscence. God don't never change. He's God. All right, so as we continue on with episode 274 of the podcast, uh, my book review is not of a book so much as it is of a performance of a book, and the book is the New Testament, but it is the audio version of the New Testament as read by Johnny Cash. Not many people know that this exists or that it's out there, but it is. Johnny Cash read the New Testament, and the the version he reads is the New King James Version of the Bible. Now, the thing about Johnny Cash is this. He had a really distinctive voice, and it's a voice that is 
easy to listen to. One of the problems that some readers of some of your Audible books have, and one of the problems that some readers of some Bible versions have, is they sound like an NPR disc jockey uh, with a smooth jazz show that runs at 2 a.m. It's just the kind, it's the kind of sopophoric voice that just put, conks you right out. It, it makes you, it's read well and there's no stammering or stuttering. The person enunciates unlike your current host. He, he doesn't trip over his words unlike your current host. He, he doesn't uh, seesaw back and forth, but it puts you right under. It's like, uh, Mark, it's like Mark Twain's joke about the Book of Mormon where he said it was chloroform in print. Well, the same thing, the same thing is true for many readers of the scriptures. It's, it'll just knock you right out. Now, Johnny Cash is not like that at all. He has a, he reads well. It's a distinctive accent. It's a, a distinctive timbre of his voice. And it is really easy to listen to. It's quite, it's quite striking. So if you have, um, it's on Audible. It's, it's available, I'm sure, in other ways also. But Johnny Cash, reading the New Testament. And um, I've, listened to, I've listened to this. I'm just guessing now. I've probably listened to it maybe four times. I've listened to Johnny Cash read the New Testament maybe four times. This last time that put me in mind of telling you about it, this last time, I, I thought, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to it at um, uh, like 1.7 or something like that. I'm going to listen to it at a faster speed. And that didn't wreck it. It was sometimes when you listen at a faster speed, it doesn't cause things to whoosh by your head. It actually helps you seize on or hear different things. Anyway. I don't think you ought to listen to it at a high speed the first time through, but listen to it to a few, listen to Johnny Cash read it a few times. And I think you're going to be very pleasantly surprised.